folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory Podcast. I'm Theory. And I'm Sense. And today we're going to be tackling one of those big enchiladas. That's right, it's the justice system. Uh, Man Alive is our justice system broke. Uh, In more ways than one. In more ways than one. Uh, You hear stories about it all the time. You read newspaper articles about it. It's one of those things that we... We talk about and we never really get around to fixing, or do we? We'll, we'll talk about that towards the end of the episode. But first up, uh, let's talk about how broke the justice system is. Well, first off, you'd think we'd be really, 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 really good at it since we are the world's global leader in incarceration. <laughs> like, yeah, we, <laughs> we got good at selling hamburgers. Why not good at <laughs> Why not good at justice? I don't know. Yeah, like one in 108 people in the United States, uh, as of 2012 anyway, according mm-hmm. to the Bureau of Justice, are incarcerated. One in 108. It's absurd, and and my first question is like, do we just are are we just criminals? Yeah. Are we predisposed to crime? Like, no, that's uh, actually when we were doing the research on this episode, I read an article where a guy was defending the justice system, and the guy came back to him, and he was like, I mean, do you really, really, you believe that one in a hundred and eight people, you know, I think back to my high school, deserve to be imprisoned. I think back to my high school, and that is basically like fifteen of the people in my high school, yeah, should be in prison. You know what I mean? Well, jail, prison, but yeah, still should be behind bars. Behind bars, and then you take are that, too dangerous to exist in society. Take that to every <laughs> high school, every town. One in a hundred and eight, man. That's a ridiculous number. It's more than anyone in the world. It's more than the worst third world country. You know, the the most populous gulags on the planet. Yeah, like it, they do not compare to well, America's prison system. And I also I, I saw a stat where ninety nine. Or I'm sorry, yeah, 99% of federal uh, court cases end up in a conviction. Holy yeah, you know, and, and now that's that's well, maybe they're just really good at picking their cases. A good right? portion the of that, or actually a ridiculous portion of that, is plea bargains. Ah, which you know, I mean, the the ability to you know plop a a jailhouse snitch in, you know, and all of a sudden he's heard a confession from the guy and and and, and get a plea bargain is uh it's off the chart man so the question is do you think uh yeah especially you compare it to the 70s the federal conviction rate was like 75 percent. do you think that 99 percent of the cases that go to a federal trial are actually like somebody committed the crime i mean like what are the odds what are the odds of that i mean that's it's just an not 99 percent. yeah no sure. man I, I can't i can't see it ever being 99 percent. but if that's not the case, then what is happening? And it's it's especially painful how jacked up the justice system is because at our founding, that was one of the things we hung our hat on, right? Right. Right to a speedy trial. Uh, we don't believe in debtors' prisons. You know, uh, everybody is equal under the eyes of the law. Right? Freedom, but liberty, justice for all. Some of those central pillars of our country, right? So. What is happening? Where is it going awry? Well, I definitely think uh, speedy trial is out the window. I don't think anyone's getting a speedy trial. I know we've got people sitting in prisons uh, waiting for trial that couldn't post bail, you Mm. know, sometimes $40,000 in bail. Um, So there's a lot of places that it's going awry. Um, Almost in all the places it's going awry. And most of it has to do with money. Um, You know, in the case of bail, uh, it's a money issue. We look at like, so, so state judiciary systems, right? Mm -hmm. How much do they cost? Usually it's 1% to 3% of the state budget. Well, how much money are they making? 
And and the answer to that is is surprisingly hard to find, yeah. but I think you did find some numbers. Yeah, um, no, I, I went I went digging for that, and it's actually it's it's really hard to find like a unified number of you know this judiciary system is making this much money. I mean, don't get me wrong, you can find them buried in state budget and financial reports, you know, but it's hard to extrapolate and make sure that this number is that, and, you know, yada yada. However. Uh, you know, we did find some examples. We found, uh, for instance, in Missouri, uh, the municipal courts in uh, whatever county St. Louis is in, I think it's St. St. Louis, Louis County, county. Uh, uh, brought in about three times what it cost them to operate. Uh, the average uh, profit was about a half a million dollars per town, and that went to the town's operating budget. So, so to me, the idea of justice is completely separate from the idea of profit, right? Right. We have a justice system to to create incentives and punishments for behavior that we agree is 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 appropriate. Right. Um, so so I have this big question. Anytime a system is is creating profit, there's incentives for certain kind of behaviors. Right. Right. And the incentive is to increase profit. So right. if if the city is funding other areas with with their court system money then someone is paying a bill for a service that's not being provided. You know right. what I'm saying? So, I mean, I would understand, I understand court fees and I have no problem with court fees, but that court fee to me should cover the court and well, the system that we use. Let me, let me play devil's advocate for a second though. So when I get a drunk driving ticket or what have you, right, I go in and I pay my court fees. I'm supposed to pay for, the incident that I've created within the justice system. Right. right. So is that a punishment or is that just me cleaning up after the, the mess that I've created? Right. Because that, that day in court would not have happened had I not broke the law. So I think the justification for it is, so you're going to pay for that for sure. But then you're also going to be fined. And then the idea is if the cost of the judiciary system in a city or town state, what have you is paid for, then we can take that money and put it to build a new library or we can, <laughs> or the idea Them's is some lofty ideals or uh, we can start a, uh, you know, an anti DUI program or okay. something like that. So those are lofty ideals. I am right there with you on and whether you or not it's it, happening, but that's how it was sold. When right? you sell that's it like point. that, uh, you know, I can get behind it, but I don't think that's what's happening now. Right. Um, you know, in the case of, of Missouri, uh, they bring in three times what it costs them to operate. And that money is not going to, yeah. to libraries. I mean, I guess it's going in the general fund and, and don't, don't but, get me wrong. That's we're talking about Ferguson there. I mean, Ferguson is in that County, right? Like, like Ferguson is a borough of St. Louis. So, so these are some of the, the poorest, most underserved communities in the nation. That's right. So, and their courts are making three times what it takes them to operate. So what, yeah, what's you, happening there? If you don't think something's wrong there, then, then you're absolutely crazy to me. And, and this is not just the case in, in Missouri. Uh, there was a big hoopla some years back about Florida's fine system, which was mm -hmm. absolutely outrageous. Um, they raised filing fees to $300 for civil cases, uh, $400 bucks for a divorce, and almost $300 bucks for evictions. Um, and Florida, like, like most places, if you're indigent and you can't pay, they will waive the filing fees. Not Florida, buddy. They don't give a shit. If you're poor, you pay. Yeah. And if you don't pay, 
Yeah, well, they'll set up they'll set up payment plans. They had surcharges, and basically, if you get upside down on that thing, or you just don't pay, yeah, you're you're going back to jail. So, like, you know, we like to say there was a uh, Supreme Court ruling in 1983. It was Bearden versus Georgia that a probationer uh, can't have their probation revoked or be jailed for non-payment if they can't afford it. I mean, that's that's pretty clear, you know. Now, now, obviously, they found you know, some sort of loophole, legal loophole, or maybe it hasn't been challenged all the way up. You know, I'm not sure, but at any rate, Florida was doing this and they're sending you to jail for not paying that yeah, or at least harassing the hell out of you, you know, over these bills. What, isn't there some kind of Supreme court decision or something that says like, we do not establish debtors prisons. Like you don't send people to jail for, for debt. Well, no, uh, what it is, uh, federally, there's a federal law in like 1833 that abolished debtors' prisons. Now, there was some argument that, you know, if it, okay, if it's a, you're not actually going to jail for a debt if it's a fine levied by the court and so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, me owing Chase Bank money. Right. Know? But uh, that's what this 1983 decision does. Is it? It stands and it says no, and it actually uh, it tied it back to the 14th Amendment and said equal protection under the law. So no, that's still you being in prison for a debt, and uh, yeah, that's that's not going to work. So no, you are not allowed to imprison people for debts. Now they again continue to find ways to slide around it, but right. Yeah, uh, and and the Florida situation is just super egregious too. I mean, there was another. Uh, stipulation that those who can't afford their lawyer uh, have to pay 50 bucks to apply for their constitutionally guaranteed public (laughs) defender. Yeah. And uh, if convicted, they were getting charged for the costs of prosecution and defense. Right. Right. Like straight up as an, as an an accoutrement. Here you go. Well, which again, it goes back to, I'm sure, again, that they found, you know, a way around this, but it violates the spirit of the idea, right? Like, so what they're saying is, you know, we're going to hit you with the $50 fee and we're not going to uh, imprison you if you don't pay it, but you do have this $50 fee. And if we summon you to court about that $50 fee and you don't show up, it's contempt. Like, you know, there's all these things, all these ways that they can get at you. And, And so at the end of the day, somebody who's supposed to have an attorney provided if they can't pay it, is now on the hook for that attorney, even to the tune of fifty dollars. Yeah. You know, so yeah, and if they're and if they're guilty, they're on the hook for for all attorneys. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then on top of that, they also, in some instances, uh, a failure to pay, they'll suspend your driver's license. Oof. So now, how the hell are you supposed to get to work Oof. to pay that fee? Double or whammy, to pay that man. fine. I mean, you know, what just, is wrong with this? And and really, I mean, the idea of justice to me. It's obviously sacred, and, and I'm a Libra, you know, mm. so uh, the the balance is is real with me, and and looking at it, you just say you're a Libra, um, yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> you would never guess, huh? And and to me, like, if poor people are getting shit on in the in the just, that is like the worst thing we could possibly do. I'd almost be okay if like if the rich people were getting shit on in this fashion to mm. prop up the justice system and other parts of the government. But man, when you take the poorest of the poor, you hit them with a $50 fee for their attorney they can't afford, and then and then level another $3,000 fee for the prosecution and defense, like, we are fucking up, homie. Yeah. You have made it a, a crime in itself to be poor in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In and a that's sense, a travesty. Has, yeah. I mean, and it, especially you go so far as to take your driver's license and now you can't even climb out of the hole, man. Yeah. Like, what are you... 
what do we expect the poorest of the poor people in America to do? And and really, and poverty is, you know, we like to think of, of America as a first world country and, you know, oh, poverty doesn't exist here like it does in other places. But no, there have been yeah. reports come out recently like poverty is a serious problem. I mean, look at look at Flint. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I mean, absolutely. The homeless population Detroit. in L.A., yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm cherry-picking the worst of the worst, but... Well, no, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you're cherry-picking. Like, so then this is actually, you know, this is a big goddamn issue in, yeah. in Flint. This is a big damn issue in Detroit and L.A. and stuff. I mean, that, that, those people are still here in this country, right? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, no, it's absolutely a big issue where, you know, where those people live and where they're impacted. It, it, you, you would like... I, I, we're we're never going to have complete uniformity from Massachusetts to Oregon, you know, and and, and that's fine. And Actually, I kind of like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like the fact that that's one of the things I love about the states is that each state can experiment and tweak, and right. others can learn from each other. But but at the same time, again, I go back to those being the pillars and the foundations of this country. Like, hey, guys. We all believe in a speedy trial. Hey, hey, we all believe no debtors prisons. Like you know, right. th- these are th- these are the core tenets that you kind of have to have. And and freedom and liberty and justice for all, which yeah, is absolutely. totally in the case of Florida at least, completely being shat upon. Yeah, yeah, and and thrown to the wind, you know, scattered and tattered and torn pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then we're also we're, we're going in, in wild directions with this stuff, especially if you look at Kansas. Kansas has instituted this insane criminal registry, which I guess uh, it, it sounds a lot like the sex offender registries. Yep. But now in some ways we're going to spread that out and extend it to drugs and violent offenses. Yeah, and they're making people register for 15 years. That's after they get out of jail or prison, mm-hmm. uh, it's a public a public registry. So your name goes on. It says what you did and where you live. Uh, I guess so people can know you know who the meth cooks are on the block and yeah. you know give them the side eye and, and look out for them. I don't know. Um, the craziest part though is that every three months you have to file again with the sheriff. Pay a $20 filing fee. Oh, look at that. There's them fees. There's those fees. $20 every three months for 15 years. Mm. And failure to register is a felony. And failure to pay your registration fees after the initial registration is also another felony. How how insane is the idea that failure to pay a fine would ever be a felony? Like a felony is a high crime. Yeah. Like, Like that's the point. Like, that's why it's not a misdemeanor, right? That's like, right. You know what I mean? So so in, in what world is I got behind on my bills a felony? I can't even. And a world with debtors prisons is what it sounds like. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, not right. to just keep coming back and pounding the same thing, but not paying your bill is a felony? I mean, that's insane to me, man. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they rack up further felonies for each month, too. So you can, you can get caught up. And and be a multiple felon, a three strike felon wow. for a for a drug crime, you know. And and yeah. and they were saying that everyone goes on this list. So there was a police officer in the article I read talking about it. And he said, if you if you have five dollars worth of pot, you're on the list. If you sell five hundred million dollars worth of methamphetamine, you're on the list for fifteen yeah. years. Like well, and then there we are. We see again parallels with the sex offender registry, where you have people who moon people or or piss in public or what have you. 
everybody goes on the sex offender that's registry. right and then your your whole life gets upended and you know i mean i'm sure that uh if we continue down this line i'm not sure maybe you saw it and i didn't does the kansas uh the criminal registry does it have any restrictions on where you can live I don't think so. No, it's just it just lets everyone know yeah, where I, you are. I still say, doesn't it feel like we're heading that way? And so now, I, you, you know, know we're yeah. going to do that because I mean, they're violent offenders, right? We right. have to be protected. We have we to protect our. We kids don't want somebody and... who caught a gun charge living next to the school. You know, I mean, it's right. I, I mean, and, and and even worse than that to me is like, if the justice if, if the justice system is working, ideally people are doled out a punishment, they go serve their time, hmm. and they've paid for their crime. Right. Then right. it's and it's over, and you have an opportunity to be a better person from that point on, dude. When you register for fifteen years on a list, yeah. and your neighbors can look you up, like you have not finished your sentence yet. Well, uh, like I said, uh, you, you you've created a cast is is what you've done. You the, it's these are the outcasts, these are the ne'er do wells, and you're already like if if you're a felon, you're already having a hard time getting a job. That's right. Like you're, you know, uh, yeah, I think uh, Beanzo laid it out in episode ten. I think you know you can't vote, you can't go to another country. You know, there's already all these restrictions, and so now you want to add the fact that you can't talk to your neighbors, you can't go to the grocery store without people pointing at you and right. stay away from him. And imagine what it does to, you know, let's say you have kids. Say it's twenty years Woof. later. And you caught some drug charge when you were 22 years old. Now you're 42 you years had the old. Joint you got in the back seat. And everybody, you know, all the other moms at school were like, hey, you stay away from little Tony. His dad is on the, you know, I mean, that's. It's ridiculous. Uh, Jesus, man. I mean. Yeah. We've gone, we've gone to Kansas. You've got to come back to the you, light side. You are entering the territory of cruel and unusual punishment. I'm glad I don't live in Kansas. Yeah, I'm no, just saying. Kansas is a train wreck, man. I mean, really, that, that. You look at that and you say one dime bag of pot mm-hmm. could make you a felon after one failure to pay. Yeah. And you got to you just have to put your head in your hands and go like this is majorly yeah. majorly wrong. I I would hope that that eventually, you know, like everybody gets that shit expunged. Like if it's only that, I hope cooler heads prevail in Kansas and that's what ends up happening. Now that has happened somewhat with another problem that we're going to talk about in Georgia and Mississippi and some of these other states, but this is still a pretty widespread problem, and that's the problem of private probation companies. Here we go with the profit motives and again, And here we go with privatization. Um, so what we have is we have probation companies that are handling the burden, right, because it's one in every 108 people are being incarcerated. So there's this huge glut of, uh, you know, misdemeanor cases and felonies as well or whatever. They get reduced, commuted, what have you. Maybe the person originally got sentenced probation. So now they've got to wear an ankle monitor or they have to have a, a car tracker. They got to go piss every so often or and they got to meet with a, a lot of states officer. had a problem like managing that. You know, right. how many people were coming? Where are they going to get the ankle monitors? How do we check right. them in? How do we check them out? So they decided and uh <laughs> in a stroke of genius there's there's a couple Let's companies hire it out uh one in particular named uh, it's like sentinel services which is actually the name of the bad guys on the new x-men tv show i'll just put that you know <laughs> i'll put that out there anytime that you're called sentinel anything i'm already wary of you but uh you know these companies popped up and they're like hey we'll handle all that stuff for you if you let us charge fees and stuff and you know the states were happy to turn that over and on its face it sounds okay to me you know, but when we start thinking about what's actually going on and where the money's going, 
uh, you have another situation where you're placing profit incentive in in the way of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in Georgia, uh, in 2014, private probation companies made out with $40 million a year. And that's not money that's going to drunk driving programs. Or the library. That's right? not money that's going to the library. And it's just in Georgia. Right. I mean, they're in Mississippi. I mean, they're all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Um, you look at... So, to me, here's here's what happened. It could it could have been bad, right? So we put this company in charge, and this company gets to charge its fees. They get to keep all the money. I, I don't know how much oversight there is on the fees in most places because that's what's happening now. We're seeing states starting to put caps on those fees, but at least for a time, and in some states today, it's the wild fucking west. Yeah, right? they they can charge whatever. We we found a story of a guy in Missouri, and actually, this is. Uh, 2017, a guy in Missouri got popped for a DUI. His fine uh, to the state of Missouri was $500, and the court cost was $419. So at that point, court's paid for. Mm-hmm. And the fine is paid. The fine is paid. <laughs> um, however, this dude got charged probation fees of $2,980. And due to the fact that he... Wow. Due to the fact that he didn't get all that paid on time and, and you know, other fees and, you know, maybe a drag on late the, fees he and ended interest up paying $10,000 when all was said and done. A thousand of it went to a state, 9,000 of it went to the probation company. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you really can't defend that to me. There's no defense there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the ankle monitor didn't cost $9,000. His check-ins didn't cost $9,000. Um, we're just talking about pure profit. I mean, it has to be. It yeah. has to be at some point. Well, we don't know. We don't know. So we don't know what the state would have. What, what would it have cost the state for Not $9,000. I guarantee you it's not $9,000. And so here's the thing. I mean, I again, we talked about this when we talked about private prisons. To me... When you're a company and you say, hey, I want to take over probation services for the state judiciary, you know, and they go to the state and they say, this is what we want to do. How were charge caps not the first thing that we talked about? You know what I mean? Like, how was that not with the initial contract? Like, okay, cool. But hey, check this out. Uh, You're doing this for us. You know, we can see you making, you know, X amount of money. And if you don't want to do it, we'll just keep doing it. I mean, you would think that the state could at least go into these types of contracts with as much rigor as McDonald's does when it's handing out franchises, right? Well, you, you would know, hope so. Yeah, because you know McDonald's signs up somebody for a franchise, and they're like, hey, you can charge this much for a Big Mac. Instead, you've got That's Georgia approaching a private probation company and doing stupid shit like allowing the probation company to decide who cannot and can pay. So like you go back to the Bearden versus Georgia when, when Supreme court ruled that uh, uh, you can't have probation provoke, revoked or be jailed uh, for non-payment if you can't afford it. If and ordinarily it, the right. state would decide who can and can't afford it. No, no, not in this case. We'll no. go ahead and let the, the probation company decide if right. you can or can't afford and, it. And, and that's, it's so insane. Like, who signed that, that contract? Who, yeah, dude, who gives them the power to, to ascertain that? Because again, we talk about, they become collection companies with guns. Now right. they're like, Oh no, no, no. I think you can pay. And if I think you can pay, the state thinks you can pay. That's right. You know, and, that's an insane amount of power. 
to it give is. somebody with it. So, so you're right about like, you know, profit motives creating evil shit. And I mean, profit motives, you know, can be a good thing if we don't give them the power. Right. To, I, you know, I, I, to I mean, I think you have to shit. look at it in, in both ways, because, you know, a lot of times I'm for smaller government. And if mm-hmm. you've got one in 108 adults that are in the probation system, maybe government is not the best at handling that. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. There might be people who figured that out better. And, right. um, but God, we got to be real, real careful about how we approach it. And you got to wonder, man, there, there were probably some kickbacks, you know what I'm saying? Some, some decision maker probably got rich off that decision. I don't want to yeah. make any accusations cause I don't know, but yeah. you, you just gotta, you gotta, well, no, you like, almost, you almost, I, I hope to God. I mean, I mean, seriously, like, because if you're not getting a kick, if you didn't accept those terms because you got a kickback, <laughs> then you are, you are criminally inept and, and you should actually probably be put in that same private probation, you know, system man yeah no that's that's terrible and to tell you the truth though i think that where we have sat here and talked a lot about money and greed there are other factors there are other motivations that sometimes lead to our justice system getting so askew like for instance it's hard to explain the fact that african americans make up 13 percent of our general population but make up 40 percent of the incarcerated population in this country i mean now Here's the thing that that actually that gets brought up a lot, and you know you, you'll see people arguing about it. You know, and they, sometimes the response, especially from people on the right, is, "Well, they're committing more of the crime." And <laughs> them black people just do a lot of them crimes over there. <laughs> yeah, you get that. And then people on the left come back and they say, "Well, you know, there's a reason that they're committing the crime, or there's a you know, a either they're they're being profiled, stop and frisk, uh, looked at unfairly, or b." You know, like you've uh, talked about so many times, you know, poverty and stress and stuff, it, you start running out of options, you know. So so either way, like that's on our shoulders. Some. So that's a debate that rages back and forth kind of in the, in the conversation, like how much of it is this, how much of it is that. And I think sometimes it gets lost on whether or not there is racism like in the justice system or if you know we're just not looking at all the factors however we found a yale law journal study from 2013 that in my opinion puts it to bed Uh, after controlling for the arrest offense criminal history and other prior characteristics sentences for black male arrestees diverged substantially from those of white male arrestees by around 10 percent on average Um, the disparity does not seem to be growing but it is persistent now, so so all factors controlled, black people get 10% longer sentences than white people that committed the exact same crime. Yeah, which when I hear when I hear the, the statistics about the number of people incarcerated, I'm, I was actually surprised when I first saw it that it wasn't more than 10%. However, at the same time, you know, 10% of a 10 year sentence is another year, man. That's another year of life that we stole from somebody. Yeah. You know, 10% of a 20 year sentence is another two years, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's by no means nothing to, to shake a hat at. And if we're in this, you know, the justice system that we want that, you know, we like to think we have sometimes wouldn't, there's no reason there would for not that to happen. Be, yeah. There would not be a 10% discrepancy. Shouldn't be a consideration at all. It, it shouldn't exist. The, the same study also found that, uh, uh, prosecutors file mandatory minimums twice as often against black men as against comparable white men. Oof. 
And, and I mean, we can take this all the way back to crack in the eighties, man. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, mandatory minimums, like I, to me, the idea is for the judge or, you know, the jury or whoever's doing sentencing to have full discretion. Like if they feel like, you know, it should only be two weeks, then, you know, it should only be two weeks. If it should only be, you know, mandatory minimums, like I have a big problem with that before we even walk out the door. Right. Um, to then see them used as a club uh, against black people is, is terrible. Now I, I have a very complex relationship with the idea of systemic racism, right? Like I, I, I look at this study, I look at the Yale law journal study and I mean, there's no question, right? 10% longer sentences. So I absolutely believe that it exists um, however, the way that it's portrayed sometimes, the the extent of systemic racism in this country. Um, You've got Tariq Nasheed on, on Fox News going white supremacy is an all-encompassing system. That, right. It, you know, the question is, are we talking about, you know, that the annual prosecutors convention, uh, you know, all the good old boys sitting in the back room being like, hey, how are we going to sock it to them this year, boys? Well, or, no. See, I see racism more on a, on a personal level. Like... People are racist. There are racist people out there. And when you have racist prosecutors, they make right. racist decisions. They make decisions based on their racism. So, right. like, that's not to say that the entire system is is disgusting and, and rotted, you know, although right. we're kind of pointing at yeah. many aspects of the system that are disgusting and rotted. But, but my point is, like, the idea, because of a racist prosecutor or 10 racist prosecutors or 20 or 200 or however many there are, um, that's not to say that all prosecutors are racist and right. there's some prosecutors out there making good decisions, um, you know, without that bias. I, right. uh, that has to be, well, the case. I think, I think what we, what we've illustrated here, at least in my opinion, um, and I know not everybody will agree with me, but what, what I see happening, especially with what we found, uh, as far as the court fees and as far as, you know, prison privatization and, and other stuff like that is that there are a host of factors that are contributing to some egregious things happening in the justice system. Then there's that other question of inequality, right? So is, is the money thing, uh, which I saw in some places, I actually even saw a Vox article that said, well, you know, the private probation companies are mostly in, you know, uh, states with high populations of African-Americans. <laughs> so here's the thing. Does that mean it's going to disproportionately affect African-Americans? Yes. Is that, to me, indicative of systemic racism? No, because those, uh, you know, a lot of those states are in the South. Those are poorer states. So now you go back to, and well, you why are they poor some, states? Some racist decision-maker... Um, you know, at the state government who's like, let's, uh, let's, you know, 90% of our, of our probationees are black. Let's stick it to them through this, this private system. And you kick back, you know, 20% a year to me. I mean, yeah, no, no. I think, I think everything happened except for that 90% of our probationees are black. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, that doesn't have to exist for somebody to be, it doesn't have to, but it might, you know, it, it can Right. And, and that's another thing. I mean, you know, let's let's talk about that for a second. So my outlook on the situation is I cannot uh, walk down the road of systemic racism wholesale. I can't. I think racism does exist. Obviously, no the, question. The, the Yale Law Journal. There's no question. 
you know, and, and that is system spread right throughout that system. Black people are receiving a, a sentence that is 10% longer for me to turn around and say that now everything that's wrong with the justice system is necessarily a product of racism. I can't do, I need something like that. I need right. a hard data point like that to show me that when I adjust for other things, when I adjust for, uh, you know, like this one did, uh, arrest defense, criminal history, when all things are equal, then that happens. Yeah, income level, et cetera, and et cetera. I don't think, I think, I, I've actually, I've heard uh, even Ben Shapiro, who's, you know, he's a, he's a big dude on the right. A lot of people say he's a hateful bastard. But he says, if you can show me an instance of this happening, then I'm right there with you. Yeah. Like, I, I he, whether they believe it or not, nobody is. I, I well, think the I, problem, I think first. the problem with that attitude is that society and social issues are inherently more complex than we will ever give them uh, enough attention to compensate for. Like, like when you're talking about social science and, and you're and you're trying to figure out the factors behind something, like we're never going to find all the factors, right? Right. And but I think when you look at those factors individually, you know, we can say like racism has caused black people to be poor, from segregation to redlining. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and up to, you know, 40, 30 years ago. So like a lot of the factors when we, when we can't separate those from racism. So when you talk about like poverty being a factor, yeah, well, black people's poverty in many cases is a direct result of racism. So like, you know, if we go down the rabbit hole, I think what, what people who lean towards the side of systemic racism being all inclusive are saying is that, all of those factors are also separately influenced by racism behind them. Right. So here's, here's, here's the problem though. Here's the disconnect though. When I say that Ray, if, if I was to come out and say as many on the left or, you know, uh, SJWs, progressives, whatever, you know, have said that racism is on the rise, that, you know, uh, White people are inherently racist. White people seek to do. So when we're talking about a policy that was born of racism 60 years ago that created the poverty, that's creating the thing now, we're into like third generation Absolutely. problems. So does that mean that the population now is actively hating black people for right. being black? Right. I, that's I, a distinction I that you have to make. Yeah, and, I, and I agree. You do have to make that distinction. Um but when a system is 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 moving, mm-hmm. you know, does it matter who who pulled the cord? Does it matter who started well, the well, engine? No, I'll you tell know? you why it matters. Because I can get people to to fight inequality, right? I, I can. We like to believe, as we've often talked about, that America is this great land of opportunity and everybody's equal. It's and the justice, melting pot, man. right? Yeah, so, so if I hold it up now, if I hold up a picture of you and I say. Look at how justice isn't blind, okay? Do you want to help me fix it? I think it's the overwhelming response is yes. It's a lot. Well, the, the overwhelming response is yes. If I if I don't say, look at how it's not blind. 
It's a direct result of the bias that's hidden inside you that you may not even be conscious of. Right. Or it's from this long string of bias that you, you know, racism and hatred that, that you've, you're an active participant in because you're not doing this or you're not, so you're just right. as you're bad. You're not as, behaving, you, you're not in line with the group think, therefore you, and it's the same, it's the same motivation people use to call anyone on the right a Nazi. Right. You right, know, you're, right. you're not in line with my point of view. Uh, therefore you are one of them. And, and, yeah. and I agree. It's when you're being pointed at and called a racist loudly and violently, it's hard to go along with anything they're trying to tell you. Right. I mean, right. we've, we've talked about this before and, and the fact that in political, political conversations or really any conversation where you're trying to sway a, a viewpoint, as soon as an insult is thrown out, your brain shuts down, you know, you're not mm -hmm. receiving, you're not thinking about it logically anymore. You know, you go to this point of defense. So, you know, I, I see that, but I feel like saying that in a lot of cases is to ignore the larger problem of, of racism. How so? Um, well, I can see it not saying that you're doing it, but I can see it being, you know, thrown out as a, as a reason to just shut down the conversation. Well, racism isn't as bad as you think it is. And you know, they're only black people are only getting 10% longer sentences. Well, actually, no, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I, I'd mentioned earlier about Ben Shapiro. So I'm going to expand that a little bit. Right. So not only has Ben Shapiro said this, but I've also heard Larry Elder say this, who's a, a prominent voice on the right. They say, show me systemic racism. If you show me, uh, this thing taking place, I will gladly fight it, but I'm not just going to accept that everyone is a flaming racist and, you know, the whole world's out to, you know, the Tariq Nasheed view of, right. of you know, life. Well, Larry, Ben, uh, here's this Yale Law study, okay? So, so it absolutely exists, and so let's now, let's go do something about it, right? And I have no problem with, at that point, the onus being on them to now to you know, back up put, their words. Yeah, put your money where your mouth is, yeah. man. Because you can't you can't accept a ten percent longer sentence for somebody based on the color of their skin and say that you're in step with American values. I mean, you just you can't, can't you do, can't it. do yeah, it. Or you know what we like to think are American values. Yeah, no, it's it's bullshit. So um, I, I just wish that that is the way. And, and I understand that there's you know there's so much anger and. and and hurt and, and hostility around it. I'm just saying, I wish that that was the way that we went about it. You know, is that instead of just blanket saying that Shapiro is a Nazi or whatever, we, we called <laughs> yeah. him on his shit. We held him, we held him true at his word. We said, well, that's your word. Here it is. Well, should we, should you we know? tweet out, should we tweet out the Yale study to, to Ben Shapiro tonight? Uh, yeah, we may do that. <laughs> we may do that, man. Absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll I tell you, seriously doubt he's going to tweet back at our 21 followers. But Well, nobody knows who the hell we are. So, <laughs> But, you know, hey, man, we can keep pushing. Maybe our listeners will push. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe that is somewhere where we can get some something done. Uh, now, to flip that and to look at things from the other side, uh, I've talked about Sean King before, right? And I don't always agree with Sean King because I feel like he's promoting that that worldview that I just talked about, like uh, just everything's blanketly racist and, you know, everybody, you know, it's just pure hate and all that stuff. And I, I don't think he ever sees nuance or anything in a lot of things. However, hats off to him. Sean King has had a brilliant idea in the last week. And in the interest of what we've been trying to do with this show since the beginning, even though I don't agree with Sean King, I agree with him on this. Yeah. And that is his political action committee that he's just set up. 
Uh, it's called Real Justice. And, and, and Sean King is basically advocating uh, people to look at their local elections for uh, prosecuting attorneys, mm-hmm. for DAs. Um, and, and his reasoning is that DAs are an incredibly powerful position in, in the justice system. I mean, nine out of ten people who enter the justice system uh, do so through the DA directly. So right. this person has an inordinate amount of control. And interestingly enough, we have a lot of direct control on them because out of, you know, there are 2,400 elected prosecutors in the country. And this isn't a national election. This is, you know, you have a DA for your town, you know, perhaps your county. Yep. But this is an election that you can very much so go out. You know, we talked in one episode about playing small ball and caring about local politics. Well, here it is. You can go out, talk to your friends. You guys can organize, mobilize, and get somebody elected. Heck, ask your uh, ask your candidates questions. Yeah, absolutely. S- send them a questionnaire. You know, get get with a, a local blogger or, or even the newspaper. You know, yeah. Um, ask them questions. Figure out where they stand on issues and 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 push them. Um, you know, figure out who they are and what they believe, mm-hmm. uh, and vote for the right one. And yeah. um, I think we when we started talking about Sean King, um, you know, my first thought was, oh, he's just going to push for you know, uh, uh, only, only black DAs or something silly right. like that. You well, know? he has, uh, you know, he did highlight, uh, in the article where he announced, uh, that the pack was forming, uh, he highlighted the fact that 95% of the prosecutors are white, uh, only 80 or, uh, one percent are women of color so so uh, we need some diversity in so the, yeah in obviously the uh there's huge issues with res- representation there um and and to that extent uh i agree with him there should be a a uh, more fair distribution um i hope that it doesn't become something that's focused on race and he says that it won't he says in the article he says i'm not saying that white's evil or the black's always good he says i know great white uh, prosecutors and I know shitty black ones, you know yeah. what I mean? So, so hopefully that's not, I got a feeling deep down that that's what's going to happen. But anyway, it may not, may not. And, but his well, and idea, regardless, regardless, you support the idea, right? So we can, we can support the real justice is sound. and not support his picks. You right. know, he made, what are the chances that Sean King, uh, picks the, the right person for the job, you know, in all cases, 99%. It's, it's not going to happen. So, so I say, you know, yes, you're you're on the right track, um, but exercise your will and ability and figure out who your local people are. Don't just trust yeah. Sean King with your I th- vote. Yeah, the important lesson I think that we can take from real justice is give a damn about your prosecutor. Yeah, because they are the gatekeepers of the justice system. That's right. So um, and and communicate with them. Yeah. Push them to get Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and, and, well, and tell them what you will accept and what you won't accept. That's right. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Let them know let, why you're voting. Let them fear voting. for their job. There you because go. I'm going to tell you right now, most of the time, prosecutors, uh, you know, as Sean King highlights, uh, in Brooklyn, which Brooklyn, if you took it outside of New York City, would still be one of the top three or five biggest cities in the country, I believe. Um, the, the DA only needed uh, 77,000 votes is what he got. And won, won the office. And won. Was he running so, unopposed or something? Uh, like- no, I believe he was running against somebody. But, I mean, think about that. We're talking about, uh, I can't give you the exact population, but I think New York is a city of like 6 million people. Yeah. Or something like that. Beans can fry me on it. Uh, but Brooklyn, uh, I'm sure, has uh, 
at least a, a million of that or 800,000 and, and 77,000 is all it took to win. Yeah. I mean, look at the voter turnout as we, you know, what so, he's saying. So when we talk about power being in the hands of people, this is like one of those hidden gems where we mm-hmm. don't really realize how much power our individual vote and our individual will yeah. um, can actually be wielded in the world. Um, yeah. it, kudos well, to kudos to Sean and, for bringing that up. And no, again, you you also you mentioned you asked me if the guy ran unopposed. In many cases, they do, and and think about how that subverts and bastardizes our process, right? Because if I can run unopposed, I do whatever the hell I want. That's right. I do whatever the hell I want. Yeah, there's no, no one's check there or to challenge there. me on anything. Now, granted, you might be able to recall me or, or get me out of there some other way, but it's going to be hell of a process. Yeah, and who are you going to put in their place? And it's going to take more than seventy-seven thousand of you to give a shit to begin with. You right. know. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, you you do have the power there. So let's grab it by the reins and let's let's do something. I mean, you look at Larry Krasner, and God bless this guy. He's the the Philly DA that came in and said made made broad sweeping changes. Said we're dropping marijuana charges um we're gonna sue big pharma for pill pushing just like we did in kentucky mm-hmm. um you know this is an example of a da coming in and and swinging his dick around and making big fucking changes like yeah he's he's immediately uh you know made huge waves in philadelphia and actually interestingly enough um he uh i believe he knows sean king um i don't know how close they are but i'll put it to you like this real justice has retroactively endorsed larry krasner and most of what larry krasner is doing as far as like his platform if you will is what real justice is endorsing awesome so so that's what they're asking of candidates before if, if we get more larry krasner man then yeah. i will be down ballot with sean king all yeah. the way because and, this well, and see, that's that's kind of where, where I'm at is I actually, okay, so when it comes to immigration uh, with Larry Krasner, I actually disagree. He's, he's full-on sanctuary cities. We will go into that one day on an episode. It's yeah, not didn't he say he's not, he's not cooperating with uh, He's not ICE cooperating with ICE and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, we'll talk about that one day. But what's important to note is, you know, we talk about principles and practicalities. With all that Krasner has done, I can live with the immigration thing right now. We can, we can, you know, we can, he can do what he wants to do with immigration. That's fine with me because he's willing to go after these uh, corporations over these, these pills that they pushed on us. Yeah. He's, he's willing to, you know, drop marijuana possession charges. Dropped cash bail for minor crimes and nonviolent felonies. That, that right there is huge. It's it's huge, man. Um, The idea you, you talked earlier about, criminalizing being poor yeah in a way i mean it's not criminalizing because you've already been picked up but you're you're basically you're being incarcerated because you're poor with bail the only people that benefit well talk about the right to a speedy trial man yeah you now okay so so it takes you three months to get in front of a court and you've got to sit in jail before they determine your guilt or innocence right 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 give me a break man (laughs) unless you can fork over forty thousand dollars for bail like and talk about like uh a policy aimed at the the rich you know or at the uh, poor you know however you want to look at it yeah or black people yeah or black people i mean we (sighs) when you combine (laughs) redlining with that like yeah. Holy shit, man. Like you're yeah. in a world of hurt now. Absolutely, man. And and people get tied up into uh, bail bondsmen and, and that whole deal, putting houses oh up and God. stuff. Like how that that right there, dude, dropping bail, which actually the state of New Jersey um, did it 
uh, wholesale, I believe. Like the entire state of New Jersey has already dropped bail. So this is a movement that's underway. I'm glad Krasner is doing it in Philly, and I hope more states do it. Uh, they, he's reserved the right for uh, mitigating circumstances, which is sure. fine. And yeah, flight risks. Yeah, flight risks. Uh, people who have a you know a history of uh, domestic uh, violence. violence stuff like, like if that, yeah. if you're involved in a court case and you might go kill. The person, you know, the person's yeah. still alive, et cetera, et cetera. There are questions there, like, sure. But at that point, to me, just keep them in jail. What's the bail got to do with it? Because <laughs> yeah, you yeah. set a bail and you're like, well, let's see. If you're rich enough, you can come out and kill her. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? I mean, yeah, really, yeah. what's the logic there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you wouldn't necessarily let them out at that point anyway. What? Um, but I, I think that, like, that that's one of those places where, People are going to hear that, and that's where it pays to be active and listening and paying attention because people are going to hear, oh, well, Larry Krasner got rid of bail, and they're going to be like, what? You know, so look at that. I mean, he, I, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, hang on, wow, that's ballsy. And then I looked, and I was like, no, it's completely reasonable. Yeah. That is completely reasonable from beginning <laughs> yeah, to end, man. man. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I just love Larry Krasner, man. Um, and he's getting a little bit of pushback. So he came out and, and back to crack in the 80s thing. He actually admitted um, that uh, criminalizing crack addiction unfairly targeted black communities. Um, Kenny and, and Krasner wrote a, a treatise or something. And uh, I got a quote here. They say, as a society, we failed many people during the crack epidemic by treating it solely as a law enforcement problem rather than a health problem. Many people spent time in jail when they should have spent time in treatment. Race determined how the county, as well as the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the city of Philadelphia, responded to the devastating crisis. And and to me, to have the balls to come out and say that, like, hats off, man. Yeah. And, and this goes right back to what we were talking about uh, with heroin being kind of a white privilege issue. You know, there is there is some validity there. In fact, Absolutely. A, a, a radio, radio personality or someone, uh, Johnson something, uh, came out and said black people, you know, don't support uh, these clean injection sites until until we get the release of our mandatory minimum sentenced uh, uh, people, you know, people who have been sentenced convictions. for crack convictions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, let these people out of jail first. And I feel him on that. Like, yeah. I totally get him because there's a double standard there. In the 80s, mm -hmm. when it dealt with black people, we said 15-year mandatory minimum for a little fleck of crack rock. Yeah. And now that it's a suburban problem and you got white moms being pulled over in a fucking minivan now with two kids sudden, in the back. We have understanding. Right. Yeah. Now we have now we have understanding for them. So yeah. you know you know, crack was in the eighties, and that I, I like to think that as a country we've come a long way since then. Yeah. And I don't think the same thing would happen today if, for example, heroin was in black neighborhoods. You know, I don't know that. And it is, but it's not nearly to the level well, that it's in white neighborhoods. I don't know. In our in our study, we found that prosecutors file mandatory minimums twice as often against black men as against comparable Still to white this men. day. So. Yeah. So, the, no, the problem, the problem I have with what my man's saying is I totally understand uh, where he's coming from and the anger, like I said. And, and it is something that should be addressed. However... I don't, I don't buy into the uh, holding everybody hostage. Like I don't buy into let's not fix things going forward, and 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 get the situation straightened out right now. At the same time, at the same time, sometimes you just got to throw yourself on the cogs of the machine, man. Yeah, but I mean, to what cost? So now, I mean, presumably, while heroin is largely a a white problem, it is not solely a white problem. That's true. 
And so, what, so you're you know, withholding your support for black burning shit well. down in the meantime. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I get that at the same time. I, I can't even fault the guy. I mean, I just can't. I yeah. No, 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 no. And him. that's the thing. It's like uh, if he especially like if he's using this as a, as a, a opportunity to bring visibility to it, then sure. You know what yeah. I mean? And uh, I, I don't I'm never going to fault him for, for that position. I'm just saying. I will not uh, condone, you know, holding up, withhold, making things yeah, better. Yeah, yeah no, you don't I, think we should withhold it. our support for for yeah for positive measures, right? Um, and, and, and pretty much ever too. I I don't like it when you'll see that happen in Congress, you know, and and and, and down the line. And I think if we're going to ask them not to do that, if we're going to ask them <clears throat> not to hold Dream Amnesty hostage for <laughs> wall money. <clears throat> Uh, you know, if I'm going to hate it there, then I'm going to hate it here. You know right. what I mean? So Right. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a lot so of sense. So I think uh, you see Larry Krasner, and it is inspiring. I mean, there are things that we can do. And like I said, man, power with the people. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rely on you guys, the listeners, going out and becoming active and getting involved. That, that whole voting don't mean shit. I get where you're coming from, but it's not always the case. Yeah, it's not. And, and in fact, that narrative um, is just self-defeating. Yeah. Even if it is partially true that you're a, a you know a meaningless speck, a moat of dust floating, and you know you have no effect, you have some effect, and in fact, in many places, way greater than we give ourselves credit for. Right. Um, and and I think if there's one message that I want to nail home today, uh, it's just power to the people, man. Yeah. And 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 use it and exercise it, and don't let it go to waste. You you can't afford to let it go to waste. We're at this precipice. Um, one in 108 people. One in, in 108 people are in prison. If you're not going to do this, what are you doing? No kidding. Yeah. And that is a episode ender. If I ever heard one, pretty proud of myself, tell you the truth. Uh, so yeah, we reached the end of the episode and oh boy, uh, we Man, had, a, do I, do I really have to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just put the, just, just put the shirt on, put the belt on. <sighs> it's part of his contract. I, here we There's go. Nothing I can do about it. All right. Uh, yeah, Beanzo, uh, what do you got for us? Uh, <laughs> look at you, Sits. Anyway, Beanzo, what have you got for us today? All rise. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Honorable Judge Beans presiding. Thank Fucking you, Bailiff. Dick. All buddies may now be seated. It is the opinion of this court that despite their sincere intent to stay on the straight and narrow, these two repeat offenders cannot help but assault the truth. The evidence before this court is as follows. Exhibit A. Theory, theory, theory. Can't say I'm surprised to see you before me again. I was afraid. You said that New York City had a population of 6 million people. And then you stuttered through some sort of number for Brooklyn. Let it be known to this court that the population of New York City is 8.5 million people and the population of Brooklyn is over 2.6 million. Classic theory. Exhibit B. Both the defendants stand accused of saying probationees when the proper term is probationers. This court has at times been accused of nitpicking. Far as I'm concerned, so you remove me from the bench, one of those is a word and one isn't. Weighing the evidence of your criminal neglect, 
displayed by your omission of a segment on false convictions and the death penalty, I am troubled. When I couple that with the wanton disregard you showed for mandatory minimums by covering it for a total of about 15 seconds, I'm disheartened. Therefore, this court has no alternative but to find you both guilty of reckless fact-talking in the first degree and may God have mercy on your souls. And since I'm a Sagittarius for whatever the fuck that's worth, court adjourned. Golly, he is feeling his oats today, man. Can I, can I take off the pants and the belt already? Man, I'm not really comfortable wearing a badge, dude. I told him... I told him. I told him this it's is the audio. Bullshit. I told him it's not even a visual medium. Like I don't even know why you had to get dressed up. But he, hey, he wanted it in the contract, man. I don't. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that'll wrap us up uh, for this week, folks. Uh, you know, Fucking we're belt. Once, <laughs> uh, we're glad y'all could listen, and we'll see you next Beans, week. Beans, man, we got some bad blood, bro. And there it is. Hey folks, I'm Sense, one half of the Sense of Theory podcast. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening. Uh, it's your time and attention that makes this show worthwhile. Uh, we do the show for you and our listeners. Um, I'd ask you to leave a review, good or bad, on iTunes. Uh, come check us out on the various social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find the links uh, in the description to the show. And uh, if you want to reach out with a comment, uh, joke, uh, funny anecdote, uh, you want to call me an idiot, uh, sense of theory podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, thanks again, folks, and we'll see you next week.